0: Let's open our Bibles this morning to Ezra chapter 9, verses 5 through 9. Ezra chapter 9, verses 5 through 9. We read, And at the evening sacrifice I rose from my fasting, with my garment and my cloak torn, And I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, O my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within this holy place, that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves. Yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us His steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving, to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins, and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. Let's pray. Our Father, please open our hearts this morning. To the power of your word. Let us not sit in judgment over what you have commanded. But let us hear your command and obey. Let us hear the word that your spirit has for the church today. And let us obey. Let us look at the surpassing value and beauty of your kingdom and let us obey. Let us love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength it is in the blessed name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Today in this eighth verse of Ezra 9, we've come to the heart of Ezra's concern. We've taken each of these verses in turn up to this point. But today we look specifically at this eighth verse where he says, But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant, to give us a secure hold within His holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. What He is saying is this. God has given His people a gracious and an undeserved gift, but they had used it to break the law that He Himself had given. And I would invite you this morning to look at all the good things that God had done for His people in this passage. The first thing Ezra said is that he left a remnant. God surely didn't have to do that. Ezra means by saying that, that God had not utterly destroyed Israel as they had deserved. There were some left. Some had escaped. But even those who had escaped did so by the grace of God, not by any luck or chance or even skill. It wasn't that an escaped remnant had been found. That escaped remnant had been preserved by the mercy of God Himself. Even as He judged the nation, even after they had turned from Him time and time again, even after He had sent prophet after prophet after prophet to tell them to repent from their evil ways, He still preserved a remnant. And that same escaped remnant had been called back to Jerusalem, back to the land of promise, because God had declared that it would be so. We saw in prior weeks that God through Jeremiah had promised that the captivity in Babylon would last only 70 years. And He keeps His promises. Everything about this escaped remnant testifies to the hope in the Lord's promises. And when I say the word hope, I don't mean it the way the world defines it. Like some airy wish. Like something you do before you blow out the candles on your birthday cake because you've wished for a pony. When the Bible talks about hope, it is not talking about some wish out in the future. The Bible speaks of hope. It means that we expect God to fulfill His promises. Hope is secure. When the Bible speaks of hope, it says to take God's promises to the bank, as it were. To wager your very life on those same promises and know you will not be disappointed. Hope then in the Scriptures is really what we might call eager anticipation. We believers hope for the return of Jesus Christ. Not that we're hoping because we're not sure He's coming back. We eagerly anticipate His return. We believers hope in our glorification before God in Jesus Christ because we have every expectation that that promise, and we also have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of it. The second great thing that God had done for them, it says He gave them a secure hold within His holy place. Now, instead of secure hold, your Bible, the translation you have might say peg or nail. He gave us a peg or He gave us a nail in His holy place. And that's okay because the word itself is literally tent peg. You know what a tent stake is, right? If you haven't gone camping, you've probably seen one in the sporting goods section. He says he's given us a tent peg within his holy place. What Ezra is saying by that is that when God brought the escaped remnant back to Jerusalem, he allowed them to rebuild the temple and to begin the worship of God again. The sacrifices had been restored by this time for decades. And what that meant to the Jews is that their sins could be forgiven through the sacrifices that were offered. So that tent peg that was securely set in the holy place of God meant that they could once again act as His covenant people, except that the sin of the people had jeopardized that very role. Again. Has anybody here ever been tent camping? I would ask you do you just put a single tent peg to hold your tent down? No. You see, that is also Ezra's point. He says we've only got one stake in the ground. They had only just begun to become fully established in the land and they were already returning to the danger of idolatry that had brought down their fathers. A single peg had been driven. It was secure, but it was still one single peg. It was holding now. But if the remnant allowed themselves to become unfaithful, it could not hope to hold the weight of their iniquity. God has allowed us a good beginning, but our path is still perilous and our obedience is still necessary. The people should never presume on some of God's promises over and above others. We do that to this day. The same God who decreed in their day 70 years of exile also decreed you shall be holy. And He also decreed do not take to yourselves or to your sons, wives of idolatry. It's too easy for us even today to choose which promises to hold on to, which commandments we choose to obey, or worse, to decide for ourselves how best to serve God. There are many who attend church, whether every week or once a year, and think that they should, because that's the least they can do for God. But then when they walk out the doors, they give very little thought to God or to the responsibility to Him. The measure of a Christian is not how often they are in church service or how loud they sing when they arrive. It is how they live out the gospel for the other 167 hours of the week. Now don't get me wrong. Worship with the church is important. So important that when we come in worship, we should truly be seeking to be God's people glorifying Him in all things. Micah 6, verses 6-8 through says this, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? There is no amount of sacrifice. There is no amount of action. There is no amount of doing that replaces obedience. There is no amount of confession you can make. Is the rest of your life spent seeking to follow God? Or have you already found yourself planning, even in this hour, what you'll do after you leave here today? Are you thinking your devotion to God is secure with a single peg of church attendance? It's a start. It is a peg. But without obedience and private devotion... It will always be tenuous and unsteady. Do you think that single peg will hold? Will hold securely when persecution comes? Or in the midst of concerted opposition from the devil? Do you have any hope in standing if your foundation is that fragile? Jesus told the parable of the soils. You recall that, right? where a sower went out to throw out seed. And you recall that for some seed, birds took it. And then for others, it fell on rocky soil. And although it sprung up quickly, it couldn't stand the heat. And it withered just as quickly. Others fell out among thorns that choked the seedlings out. So Jesus explained the meaning of this parable in Matthew 13, beginning in verse 19. Let me read that to you. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, does not comprehend it, does not allow it to move into their lives, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path that the birds had taken away. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, For the one who has but a single peg, they would look much like the seed that fell on rocky soil. These men were coming to the temple offering sacrifices just like their fathers and their grandfathers had done since the sacrifice had been reestablished. And then they were going home and they were disobeying God and they were doing it from their heart. They might spring up with joy, but they might praise God because of what He did in rebuilding the temple. You might praise God about what He did in bringing Jesus Christ back from the dead on Easter Sunday. But having no root, will you fall away just as quickly? The call of the Gospel is not to come to do some things to please God. The call of the gospel is to come and relinquish your life to Jesus Christ and let Him please God. The word is repent. Leave your sin and your control and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him because He will do it. Isaiah 55 verses 6 and 7 say, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Last week, our theme was on the fleetingness of God's grace. And here again we see the urgency of the gospel. Do not wait another hour to be reconciled to God through the salvation that He offers in Jesus Christ. No one can afford to reject this offer of forgiveness that God has given in Jesus Christ our Lord. He is not simply inviting you. He is commanding you. Repent and follow. The third thing that God had done for His people is that He had brightened their eyes. Now we can take this to mean that He has given them gladness, which He had, or that He had also enlightened them through His Word, which is also true. But I rather think that this word, brighten our eyes, needs to be taken with the phrase at the end of that verse as well, in our slavery. I think it is a compound action along with the next action, grant a little reviving, which we'll get to shortly. Because God has shown His light into their slavery and He has granted them a little reviving in their slavery. This morning we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. I pray that you will be enlightened so that you will know that eager anticipation, that hope in His calling. You may say that's well and good, but what does it mean? I think Charles Wesley explained it well. I, I know it's odd for me to quote Charles Wesley. He's a great theologian when he's writing songs. In the hymn, And Can It Be That I Should Gain, he says this, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night, thine eye diffused a quickening ray, I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. When Ezra says he has brightened our eyes, I think that Charles Wesley has. Captured what Ezra means by that. He has come into the darkness of our life. He has come into the darkness of that slavery to sin. And He has brought us a light where we thought we had only darkness. He has shined His light in that dark place. And while in a sense, as we shall discuss next week, God willing, they are still in slavery... They have at the same time seen some freedom given by God to lighten their situation. But then that brings us back to that tragic question. What had they done with that freedom? What had they done with that light that God had given them? If He had brightened their eyes, if He had their hearts, what had they done with it? They had rejected God's law, just like their fathers had done. Before the conquest, before the captivity, the prophet Hosea had expressed God's attitude over His people's betrayal. Some of the most heart-rending verses. In Hosea chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, speaking of Israel as his unfaithful wife. It says, she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. He's talking about His people who were going and bowing down to other gods, bowing down to the Baals, bowing down to the Asherah, bowing down to every god they could come up with, who were really no gods at all. But hear what He says. He says, she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, I who gave her the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time, and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax. She went after her lover. She gave them credit for giving her those things. And God cries out, she didn't even admit that it was I who gave it. God had given His people everything they needed. Not only did they use those gifts to chase after other gods, they didn't even recognize that God was the source of them. For how many of us is that true? For how many of us do we say, it's my life, I can do whatever I want. It's my money, I can spend it any way I want. These are my things. I can use them any way I want. In his hymn, Wesley was describing the awakening of his heart by the brightening of the Holy Spirit. But this freedom that we have in Jesus Christ also means that if we are in Him, we likewise will rise Go forth and follow Jesus. Romans 6, beginning in verse 12, says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. He's saying the same thing Hosea was saying hundreds of years before. Don't go chasing after the gods of this world with the things that God has given you. Don't use your freedom in Christ to chase after the things that are below. Have you been allowing sin to run unchecked in your life counting on the fact that you can always ask for forgiveness now i will say we at all at various times are in need of forgiveness but it's the state of having sin run amuck in your heart or in your mind or in your body that is the greater danger to your soul is there a sin you love so much that you love it more than obedience to Jesus Christ. If there is, you will die in that sin. It is like a drowning man who is clinging to his favorite anchor. It will drag you down and it will take Your life. Galatians 5.1 said, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. If Christ has freed you from sin, don't run back to it. And also, if you are trusting in your own goodness or service to God to in any way earn salvation, give that up as well, because both states are equally hopeless. If we are made free by the work of Jesus Christ, His work is entirely sufficient to satisfy God's demands through the law. And He does it completely We obey the commandments then, not because they earn us anything, but because that is what pleases God. He has set us free to glorify Him. Finally, the last thing we'll look at today that God had done for them. As I mentioned earlier, He granted us a little reviving in our slavery. Now, the word reviving here is really graphic. It's a picture of new flesh growing in an injury. Like when you have a severe burn or abrasion, and under that blister or scab, there is new raw flesh. The idea being here is that active healing is taking place. There's new flesh being built. There is new hope that God has granted to them. That's what Ezra is saying. It is that very word that Joseph uses when he's describing the work of God in sending Him to Egypt in the way that he did. When he's talking to his brothers in Genesis 45.5, he says, Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. That word preserve is exactly the same word. He sent me here to give you new life. To rebuild life. That word preserve means that they, what had been hopeless, almost shriveled up, almost dead, has now been made alive. Not just reanimated. God has recreated it. That old life is just there to take away the new life. The new flesh has been built. God is not just using the same old flesh. He has made it new. Has God, through the risen Lord Jesus Christ, revived you? Has He healed you? the sins and destruction of your old life. You know the way Jesus puts that very same idea? He says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. When Jesus was crucified, His body was killed. We celebrate that very thing this weekend. He was dead and buried. And in His resurrection we also have our hope, our eager anticipation that we too will follow Him in glory. Romans 8 verses 9 through 11 say this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. God revives us in Christ. He makes us brand new. What we are here now is in that middle state. This old flesh as the newness of the Spirit is already working to make us into new creatures. One day, we will rise with Him. Rise in glorious bodies that don't break down. Rise in glorious bodies that don't have the capability of sin. Rise in glorious bodies that are forever joined with Jesus Christ who is the guarantee of that very thing. 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 21 says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. If you have wondered what the message of Easter is, that's it. He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And so I invite you this morning to look as Ezra was asking the men around him to look. See all the good things that God has done and ask yourself, how have you used those gifts? Have you been reconciled to God? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Our Father, the world would constantly try to pull us away, to teach us to covet, to urge us to lust. To justify theft, to minimize lying. But God, you have loved us with an everlasting love. You have called us to be your people in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You have called us to be your ambassadors, proclaiming the message be reconciled to God. You have given us hope, you have given us peace, you have given us freedom. And for those who are in you, you have given us faith and life. Continue to show us if there is any wicked way in us. And then purge those wicked ways, those evil thoughts. Those bad intentions from our hearts as you are building within us, as you are reviving us to your glory. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, our most holy Lord, we pray. Amen.